Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast, a podcast where we talk about youth ministry. I'm Martin Saunders. I work at Youthscape, a national youth ministry organization. I also am the uh, the youth minister at my local church in Surrey. With me as always, Rachel Gardner, who also has sort of split loyalties. <laughs> split. It's, no, it's seamless beauty, not split loyalties. Feeds into each other. You are a seamless beauty. <laughs> I didn't even see that coming, but that was beautiful. Thank you for grabbing that moment. Grab moments, people. Grab any moments to compliment. That's what we just learned from that little exchange. But yeah, I do. I work for Youthscape. And I'm also based up here in Blackburn in the north of England, leading with my husband a youth resourcing church plant on a housing estate in the north of England. So we haven't seen each other for a little while. And uh, since we were last together, uh, something really interesting happened to me, which I thought... Do you know what? If nothing else, I'm going to talk about this on the podcast. Fantastic. Go so, for it. So somebody got in touch with me and said, um, hello, you don't know me, but I've, uh, I'm aware you do speaking sometimes and therefore you're used to public speaking. Very sadly, my father has passed away and uh, because of my illness, I and my mother are unable to come to the funeral, which is where you live. So would you mind going to the funeral? You don't know me. You certainly don't know my late father. Would you mind going to the funeral and reading the eulogy uh, on my behalf? Yeah. Yeah. My so I am. Um, what so honor. What, well, what do you do in that situation? You, you do. Go, of course. <laughs> yes. Of course. This will be a story for the podcast. No, of course, that wasn't what <laughs> I thought. That wasn't what yes. I thought. Uh, so, you know, um, uh, Reverend Chris Russell, who we both love, who, uh, yes. is, uh, assist, is sort of advisor, I nearly said assistant, advisor <laughs> to the Archbishop of Canterbury recently said, uh, to a group of us older leaders, uh, you know, once you get to a certain age, the defining question of ministry is simply, how can I be helpful? And so I had that ringing in my head as I, oh. as I got this email and it was one of those funny things where I was spectacularly and unusually free. And so I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I, I popped along to this church service, um, which I'd, I'd never been to the church. It was quite near me and didn't know the family and made my way to the front and introduced myself to the vicar, got up, did the eulogy. It was half an hour long. <gasps> so but didn't know that when I read it, when I said yes to it, it was, it was 30 minutes of reading. Thankfully I'd practiced it. Um, and then, and then I sat down and, you know, they, they did the rest of the funeral and then I left. And on the way out, people said to me, oh, how do you know the family? And I said, yes, I no, I don't. And they all looked a bit confused. And then I went home. And you know, you know, those sort of moments in your life where you think, I have no idea what you were doing there, Lord. Why, why on earth did you yes. ask me to do that? There's no, yes. I, I don't imagine this side of eternity, I am going to get any resolution to that story, sadly. And nor are you. Um, but it was just sort of one of those weird moments where I just thought I probably, to be helpful, in Chris Russell's words, I should probably say yes. So, yeah. um, so, uh, so I did. And, and that's the end of the story. But, uh, you know, I, I think about it often. I bet you 
too. Well, good for you. Good for you for not dismissing something that feels slightly weird as well. Because sometimes emails come in that feel a little bit unhinged, don't they? And you think, oh. Yeah. What I love about this story is that you, who in my head is Mr. Innovation, I know you don't like to claim that title at all, but in my head, you're, you're like such a guru for innovation, which is creative solutions to problems. I love it that here's a, couple, a family that had such a creative solution to a problem. Yeah, I would they did. never have thought about that. That is genius. What a clever family. So, oh my goodness. And just I, just in case you think I'm just the most nice person, I don't want to put <laughs> I did get an Argos voucher out of it. Did you look an Argos voucher? Got an Argos voucher. Oh, I love that. That's what a lovely, lovely family. Oh, what a privilege it was to um to midwife that moment for them. My goodness me. Incredible. Gosh, you can find spiritual language for anything, can't you? Oh, the midwife that moment. And the exits of life, the greatest privilege. Um is, well, I've got a story to share, but oh, I would let's like hit- to share a story of my own. Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> um so this last Sunday, uh in the second half of our little Sunday gathering, when all the groups are running and people, different young people are in different spaces, I thought, oh, I'll just go and wander the corridors at church and just see where our young people are hanging out. Because they never they never make it fully into any rooms. They're always like hanging out by the loos or outside. And I walked around and there was not a single teenager or child not in a group. They were all... Happy as Larry slouched on beanbags or sofas or in groups. And the initial thought after a year of like every Sunday wrestling with, oh, how do we get young people into groups? They're not just sat in the corridors. My initial thought was, oh, that's really sad that they're not sat in the (laughs) corridors. And then my second thought was, wow, that's taken a year. That's taken a Mm. year of patient you know, real dedication from our volunteers, kind invitation. They're setting boundaries, but not making uh, making them take leaps too far to get them from being out in the car park mm. to then in the building, to then in the toilets, to then in the corridor, to then in a group session. I thought it took a year. Mm. I don't know about you, Martin, but I sometimes think I've been a youth worker for so long, but sometimes I still... I still forget how long things take and should yeah. take for young people. Because when you've seen a few sort of generations or cycles of young people go round, you sort of forget that actually it takes a while when you're 14 and yeah. you're not used to going to church and you're not very you're not very confident socially and you don't know anyone else. So it was just a little, little sweet little moment. And my mm. initial thought was, we need to go out there and get some more young people that don't sit in rooms to come and, come and fill our corridors. And don't you think the frustration of how long the reset after COVID took is in a, in a similar vein, really? You know, I remember we'd got to a fantastic place uh with young people really exciting place with young people uh in about february 2020 uh there'd been a real sense of young people going deeper with god for perhaps the first time and then covid hit and we just went not only did we lose that year and a half but when we restarted they are miles back and it then took ages to get even close to the place we'd been before so uh, uh, another reminder that things take time there was, and we're still in that, um, what do they call it, behind a ship, like the wake behind a ship, isn't it? We're still, every now and then, little activists like me that think, oh, we're past that. You sort of come bumping quite hard into, oh, yeah, we're mm-hmm. still recovering. We're still, and, and these young people, that was their reality. They, didn't, they haven't got, like, life before COVID really nailed, in a sense, as a teenager no. to remember this is... Yeah, so that was quite a good wake-up call. So this is the second episode in our season about thinking about the challenges that we as youth workers face 
in our ministry, stuff that we maybe didn't anticipate. Maybe we don't even feel prepared for. And maybe things that happen completely out of the blue, a crisis. How do you handle a crisis in youth ministry, either your own personal one or something that happens to young people? And what do you do when that really rocks your own faith, your own sense of security in God and God's power and who he is? And the interview today, um, Martin caught up with a wife. She's been on the podcast before, Martin, hasn't she? Yeah. Lovely Naomi Allen. We've had her before and she's fabulous. But in this interview, she speaks so honestly. It's really raw. You know, you're going to hear all the emotion of a time when she faced an extraordinary crisis that happened to a young person and just how it it really derailed her and made her ask the biggest questions about who God is, where God is, is God good? How is God good? when he lets something like this happen to a young person. So this is when Martin caught up with the very wonderful Naomi Allen. Well, welcome Naomi Allen to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me, Martin. This is the third time you've been on the Youthscape podcast, but the first in your new role. Uh, I mean, you say it's Doors. new. I've been here for three and a half years, but yes, it is. It's new. But as I've discussed with many other people, time messes, uh, COVID messes with your sense of time. So those two years basically didn't count. In which um, case, this is still, yeah, new. I'm still brand working new. out. Yeah. Brand new. Uh, Naomi, just tell us a little bit, because you obviously, last time you came on, you were working for a different uh, in a different role in youth ministry. Um, so just give us a little potted history of your uh, youth work journey. Uh, okay. Well, uh, when I was 18, I did a gap year working for a youth work uh, organisation called XLP in London. And they are particularly working with young people who are not in church, um, often at risk of exclusion in school, um, sometimes in the criminal justice system. And um, I then did my gap year thinking that's all the youth work I will ever do. Um, went off to university, studied politics. And before I knew it, the Lord had called me back to doing youth work, very surprisingly to me. So I actually ended up mm. going back to work for XLP for eight years. And, and then uh, just in 2019, uh, a whole load of things kind of happened that really just set the scene for me being like, oh, hold on a second. I think God is moving me out of London, um, out of XLP and into a new space. And that's when I started working for Open Doors, leading the youth work there. Did you ever think you were going to go into politics? I thought I was going to go more into uh, international mission um, development. My, my dissertation was all about conflict resolution and crisis diplomacy. So I thought I was going to be far more kind of working like potentially in war-torn areas um, mm. between factions, warring factions. Um, but I think it's an interesting one because I think actually I've used a lot of the kind of skills and things that I was learning about when working with young people. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Well, so that's really, that's really interesting. I didn't know that about you. I didn't know you'd sort of gone that, that route. Yeah, I have um, absolutely no formal youth work training, Martin. I mean, you know, I, I've done a whole load of like different short courses. But in terms of like people who have studied youth work ministry and actually put the time in, I think it's it's an interesting one for me because I, in many respects, if I'm honest with you, um, as a student was very arrogant 
and was like, I've done my youth work. Now I can mm. do a real job and move into, you know, the real thing that God has for me. And wow. um, it's God's grace that he has absolutely put me in a space where it's allowed me to become, I think, the person he's created me to be. But at the time, I was blind to who that person was. So so were you, Were you? because this is relevant to what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, great. Um, were you a very kind of keen, young Christian person then? Oh, I was the keenest of the key. Yeah, I'm the oldest of my family. My dad is a pastor. I grew up very much kind of knowing the answers and um, I'm very, I think particularly like as a, as a teenager, being the person of like, ah, oh, evangelism is the thing that we must all do. So mm. being very much a, a, an open Christian to all the people in my school, um, heading up the Christian union. And um, I think particularly when I was deciding on Christian gap years, I, I knew I wanted to do a Christian gap year. A lot of my friends were going overseas um, and I, I, I just I'd heard a talk by the guy who headed up XLP, Patrick, and I'd just been like, actually, I really I think there was something in my spirit, a stirring of like, I think that's where I'm supposed to go. And that was when mm. I was 15. And so I knew that I was like, oh, I've got a year, few years to go. But then when I was starting to explore gap years, I was like, oh, no, this is I know God's already spoken to me about this. I'm going to explore it. And then I ended up being in London, southeast London. Um, quite a big culture shock from um, mm. very white middle class Kent, which is where I grew up. Um, and I think along that journey, just kind of seeing the ways in which God has put me often in situations where I wouldn't choose, but actually have been very good for me. But I, I've there's been a lot of wrestling. I would say I'm not. Mm. I'm not very compliant all the time when it comes to listening to the Lord. And in your new role with Open Doors, you're still focused on young people, aren't you? So what's what's the focus of, of this role? Um, so now Open, Open Doors is an organisation that supports the persecuted church and wants to raise real like awareness of like what it's like to follow Jesus around the world. My role in heading up the youth team is about helping young people in the UK to understand that their experience of faith and what it is to be a Christian is not the only experience. In fact, there are teenagers around the world who choose to follow Jesus, even though it comes at incredible cost. And yet, despite the fact that actually that might lead them into suffering, they still choose to follow Jesus. And um, I find that hugely inspiring and challenging to my own faith. But wanting young people to see that their, their experience of a safe Christianity is actually not the um, the only experience, but also is not the majority experience for Christians. And so actually they have a role to play in being part of the body of Christ. Yes. And this isn't the reason that you do that, but there's a massive benefit in terms of young people's own discipleship to them being able to see what other young people, just like them, but born into different countries and cultures, have to do just to be in, able to you know, worship and do the things that they take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, that is kind of part of my job. Like one of our core goals is about growing faith in the church across the UK. Mm. And so we want to see young people actually own their own faith rather than seeing it as that optional extra. Like, you know, you often talk about, you know, the ethos of satellites is about putting God at the center. And like, that's absolutely what we want. We don't want God to be an optional extra. It's like, ah, oh, I do youth group on a Friday, I do football on a Saturday. It's like, no, hold on a second. This should be the lens with which like your whole life is is lived. And 
around the world, we see young people who are making those choices, like not just young people, we see people all over the place. But in terms of translating it for young people in the UK, I often am trying to use stories of young people who, you know, they choose to explore what it is to love Jesus, even though they know that maybe their family will kick them out or maybe they know that it will penalise them in school and might mean that they don't get the grades they deserve. So I think people should check out uh, your, you have a youth specific youth website, don't you? Opendoorsyouth.org. Uh, and then, uh, you know, there's, there's Secret Church, and there's a load of other stuff for people to check out there. We're not particularly talking about this today, but the fact that you were so earnest and keen in your youth is a good scene setter for what we're going to talk about. So we're talking about some of the tough questions facing youth ministry, some of the difficult things that we don't always talk about. And today's topic uh, is if you find yourself, uh, you know, stewarding a youth group, leading a youth group, and you're asked to fulfill that role of disciple maker, um, but you yourself are struggling with a small faith crisis or a complete and total faith breakdown, how do you cope and how do you deal with that situation? Uh, Now, some people might say there's a very easy answer to that. You just stop doing it. Um, but we're all about nuance here on the Escape Podcast, as you will know. Um, so um, so is this, is this, by the way, an experience that you've had? Because there's absolutely no shame and doubts. Um, but is this an experience that, that you've had? Uh, because obviously you've, you've already articulated Naomi Allen, super keen, earnest Christian. Have you had those moments of, of doubt when you've been asked to serve in these leadership roles all through your life? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, if I'm honest with you, I do think that people who say that they don't have doubts or questions are lying to you or maybe are lying to themselves. Um, but I think like I, there was, well, there's been a, a couple of particular points where I think I've really wrestled with like, what the heck do I believe and how is this going to shape who I am and how I practice and my my job, I've I've exclusively worked for Christian faith organisations. So in youth work, so it's kind of this thing of like, if I if I don't actually believe this anymore, what does this mean for my own livelihoods, my job? And so uh, there was a point where I was working um, at XLP where a number of things conspired all at the same time. So there was uh, I had was in a relationship and there was a relational breakdown, which is just always painful. But at the same time, I'd be working with um, young people in uh, different parts um, of South East London. And um, there was a situation where one of the young people I'd been working with um, actually stabbed and killed another young person that I'd been working with. And so just that idea of, of suffering and the idea of like, you know, God, like you could have totally stopped that. And why why didn't you? And uh, I might get a bit emotional still talking about that. Mm. But um, just the question of like, I want to be I want to be doing something that I feel like God is calling me to. But also I want to trust that God is good. And what happens if he's not good? And so I had a lot of questions around hold on a second God. I thought I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing and it's not working right now. Am I not doing enough? But and if I'm not doing enough, I can't physically do any more. So what's what's going on here and how how am I supposed to respond? And I think particularly in that place, I was, I think, just questioning probably the character of God. Like, yeah. And I, I think to do that when you've grown up with a lot of certainty, like, 
I think I'd grown up having all the answers. And I think that at that point, that was almost like a a crack in the ice. And once you've got yeah. one crack, yeah. the fractures spread quite far. And yeah, I think it was like, oh, this was the, the almost the start of me questioning, well, what the heck do I believe and where does it come from? Is this my own faith yeah. or is this just stuff that I've inherited? And uh, you pull on one thread and it turns out that um, you pull on a lot of others all at the same time. Yeah, they're all attached. Yeah. And yet I was still being, I was still in a space where I was leading gap year students in their own formation, both spiritually, but also as youth practitioners. I was still leading a, a youth ministry in a church being like, I I don't even know if I can actually sing some of these worship songs right now because like, I don't really want to worship God. <laughs> and I, I'm in quite a, a place of real pain. And I do think that actually a lot of that um, was the start of me taking maybe a bit, like I would say that I was taking responsibility for my faith. But I think this was almost a point of me choosing, hey, hold on a second. I cannot rely on church to fulfill all of the answers that I'm looking for. I cannot rely on just my own background and what I've learned in the past. Actually, like I right now in the here and now, I cannot just pretend like everything is fine because it's not Mm. fine. And I think I'd probably slightly that cognitive dissonance of being like, oh, maybe there are things that have been poking at this for a while, but I've just kind of pretended and blocked them out. And now, like the rug has been pulled out from underneath my feet. I have to actually wrestle with some of this myself and take responsibility for journeying through what the heck do I still think about faith? And um, not not an easy or painless process, I have to say, Martin. No. Do you have a memory of um, what it was like to um, essentially be speaking to a group of people? Because you and I are both part of that generation of uh people who were in their 20s working for parachurch organizations and being asked to speak on platforms because i think that was the perceived wisdom at the time maybe less so now um you so you were doing lots of speaking maybe at that time so what's going on in your head when you're you're presenting something you're not sure you believe yeah and i think i think one of the things that i really realized early on was that like needing to have like a level of authenticity around like just the people closest to me being like hey like I'm actually not okay and I don't I don't know if this is what I believe anymore and um and I think having having space to just talk out stuff with the people around me and have a level of oh hold on a second I'm not the only one who is questioning and or who has questions or doubts that in itself, I think, was actually very releasing because I think at one point I was like, oh, my days, I'm the only person. And I think also I probably held myself to a standard because I'd just never been in a position before where I'd allowed myself to ask all these questions. And so it felt very disorientating I, in a way where I um, I kind of felt a bit blind. Um, and so I, I think in talking to people around me, there was an element of like, oh, okay, A, I'm not the only person thinking this, but also I'm not, I'm not a terrible Christian because I think I was just like, oh, my days, like, this is awful. Like, do I need to hand in my notice? Um, I don't, I don't feel like actually I'm able to, um, yeah, to bring anything of value in this space, 
But you're right. I was very much still in a position where I was leading sessions on a weekly basis. I I think there was a season where I actually did um, purposely not put myself forward for any kind of platform stuff just because I was like, I don't don't feel like I've got much to say into this space. But on the week in, week out kind of leading church youth, I think it's a time where I really um, lent quite a lot on the team around me and was like, actually, you know, like I... I generally have been quite a type A leader and in a, hey, like I'm going to lead by demonstration. This is all the stuff I'm going to do. And I think it was a time where I was like, actually, I've got plenty of people who, I say plenty. I mean, we're always on the hunt for more volunteers for youth work. But I had people mm-hmm. who were like, actually, you can lead the session. This is the topic. And I, I kind of almost focused more into some of the spaces where I was like, okay, this, this is a space where I know that I'm not going to be actively lying. <laughs> Um, because I I was really like I don't want to be um, teaching on aspects of the Bible where I was like I don't I don't know if I can do this in all honesty with where I'm currently at but I think that idea of authenticity is like being honest I there were a few young people um who like particularly where we were doing some of the smaller group stuff where they'd be asking questions and asking me and I'd just be very honest about like I just I honestly don't know the answers to this and I think as I was kind of wrestling through some of this, I, I'd had some very profound encounters with God as a teenager, which I kept coming back to it being like, I can't dismiss this. Like, I know that God spoke to me at this point. And so because of that, I think there was verse in, I think it's John chapter six, where John says to Jesus, like, Lord, to whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And it's one of these things where I was like, even though I know that I've got loads of questions around this, I'm like, where else am I going to go? Like, and I think if anything for me, I think there was a rooting of like, even though I've got questions here, I'm not, I'm not going elsewhere to find the answers to my questions. I think I'm just having to work out a little bit more about what I'm actually seeking after. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, I found the whole, like, actually, I'm still, I'm able to hold on to God, even if I've got questions about God's character. Mm. Who else has the words of eternal life? Um, actually, mm. like, I, I have to hold on to something that I, I do believe is is true. And I I was like, well, I can't, yeah, I can't um, explain away spiritual experiences I'd had previously and just be like oh Mm. no that was just it's all heightened emotion I was like no like fundamentally like there was a shift in who I was in that moment where God met with Mm. me and so I think for me that was a real rooting experience which I could then Mm. come back to when I was leading young people being like I have had I have had encounters with God like actually yeah this this is something that I can authentically say without me feeling like oh I'm yeah I'm kind of just telling you stuff that I don't feel is true for myself. I was like, no, this is where I'm at. Um, so so yeah. you, you found your way through um, slowly and, you know, um, uh, I, I guess to depersonalise it a little bit. Yeah. Um, is, there, is there a moment where actually it's right to walk away? And what, and what is that moment? So for you, mm-hmm. you know, you persisted. But what would have been the point you think where, it would have been wrong for you to keep going, particularly in a role that was discipleship focused. Mm. I think, I think if I've got to got to a place where I'm like, actually, I don't, I don't believe that God exists. Um, 
or I don't believe that. I think that I, to be honest with you, there was a season where I didn't feel like I could trust God. Um, and I think that was a particularly difficult space because I was like, well, if I can't trust you, then actually how, how do we move forward in terms of like who, who you say you are and, actually me being able to say hey I'm living my life trusting that you're leading me well I, I'm not sure I can but I think in that space of like actually well quite often when people go through disorientation or sometimes it's called like liminal space kind of processes then you kind of get to a point where you're asking the bigger questions and I think if you get to a point where you're like actually I really don't believe I have spirituality in the same way that I've had before like I don't believe it in the Christian God I think that probably is a space where you're like okay I probably do need to step away from leading people in pursuit Mm. of a Christian God but I do think that there's times where it's actually being able to question the character and nature of God and do that in community I, I honestly I do think that the the biggest challenge when you're doing stuff like this is or you're in this space is that you want to isolate yourself and you don't yeah. you don't want to um journey with others because it feels um exposing it feels too vulnerable but i think often it's only in being able to journey with others that you are able to be honest about maybe where you're at yourself but also learn from those around you who've potentially been through those processes i, I found great comfort in talking to people who had had questions themselves and mm. um, had been able to um, not necessarily always reconcile them, but had learned to live mm. in not having all the answers. And um, I think that's probably where I count myself now is that I don't have all the answers at all. Like if mm. anything, I sometimes I feel slightly more disorientated than I've ever been, but I, I do, I love Jesus and I love the nature of a God who has sent his son to earth. And I think for me, that's what's kept rooted, kept me rooted. I think for people who are in a space where they're like, I can't, I can't um, point to the nature of God anymore. I can't, I can't trust, uh, I can't trust that in, in any way. I think that's probably the time where I'd be thinking, oh, you probably, maybe even if it's a temporary thing, want to just step away and actually process some of that yourself. Um, but I do, as I say, I I stayed in a position having all of these questions. But I think I that idea of taking responsibility, I think there was very much like, I know I'm not in a good place. and I need to do something about it. I can't ignore this. And so I, I guess for anyone who's listening, who's like, actually, I do feel in a space where I'm struggling with faith myself, but like not necessarily actually doing anything proactive around that. I really encourage you to try and find some community Um and spaces where you can ask some of those questions and um, can yeah, get some input, like not necessarily in terms of answers, but just actually being honest. I think sometimes the idea of being fully seen and fully loved in the space where we are broken is as much a healer as getting answers because it very much um, is then an experience of what we get from the father of like, we're not finished articles at all. And I would love to say, Martin, that I've, you know, got things sorted, that I've got big answers, that I'm like, yes, I'm completely secure in all that I am in Christ. But that is not the case. And so I'm I'm very much aware that God uses the people around us to help speak and to demonstrate some of what it is to 
be broken people and yet still be accepted and loved and journeyed alongside. And I think that authenticity is just, it is a gift to the people around us. I remember um, growing up looking at um, stages and thinking, these guys have got it all sorted. Um, and I think we have that as young people. I think even as adults, we, we carry this sense that our leaders and our uh, definitely our platform speakers have somehow just nailed doubt out of the way. And they are, they're just, they never struggle with this stuff. So I think there is massive power in people like yourself and other leaders sharing um, uh, that actually it's not, it's not always completely absent. Like doubt is a, doubt's a part of faith, isn't it? And it's a, and it's ultimately a healthy thing that we should talk about. Absolutely. I'm more and more, I'm, I can't think I've been struck by, so Walter Brueggemann talks about just like a normal kind of Christian walk kind of starts with orientation, this idea that you do have answers, that you are oriented around, um, yeah, some like firm foundations, but then pretty much everyone at some point, generally like when you've experienced a level of suffering, moves into disorientation. Like that is a kind of a normal progression of our faith journeys. And as we move through that, often it enables us sometimes to actually encounter a deeper faith, something that's maybe rooted in something beyond just having answers, but rooted in a potentially sometimes a deeper intimacy or some like the, the release of needing to be in control, which I think very much for me was a big deal. It's like I wanted to have the answers because it felt like then I had control of situations. And particularly when all of these things were happening externally to me, I felt total loss of control. And then that kind of very much was um, overflowing into my spiritual life of feeling like I've just felt totally out of control. And I don't know how to reconcile that. And ultimately, like, probably shows a, a real lack of trust in God to start with. <laughs> like I kind of thought that, ah, oh, I was holding the control here. And yet Walter Brueggemann talks about how actually as you journey through disorientation, there is a space for reorientation. And that's not that you go back to having answers. It's just actually a space where maybe you do feel slightly more secure. Um, and actually that often is the journey that people find on their own faith journey. And I think if you're in a space of disorientation, you often can't see what it would be like to be in a re-orientation re space. Um, but like that is a normal progression. Like actually quite often people do do get there. And so I just, yeah, if you're, you're in that space, um, actually you might, I doubt that you're going to stay there forever. So don't, don't feel hopeless, my friends. Final question. Yeah. Um, do you think it's okay to be doing discipleship with young people if you have these profound doubts and struggles in your own faith? Is it is it right for you to be doing that aspect, or or you know, actually, should you subcontract the uh, the discipleship stuff to to other leaders while you're figuring this stuff out? Like uh, the uh, I guess the purest version of the question is: Is it okay? to disciple young people when you're not there yourself? Hmm. Well, I think um, it's probably not a black and white answer to that in that I think ultimately for yourself, you've got to be confident in like, okay, like I know what I'm bringing to the table and actually whether or not um, you've got the doubts there. I mean, as I say, I still have doubts, but I'm still in very much in a space where I'm discipling young people. Um, but I, I do think that... Um, I don't I don't think people have to automatically discount themselves 
But I do think there's a level of being real with young people. And I think this idea about authenticity, not that, you know, you completely share all of your struggles, but I think being real about actually, like, we don't always know all the answers. I think there are some real helpful stuff that um, happens through like apologetics and having like set answers but you know even the set answers don't really answer the question of suffering like they don't they don't actually meet people in their places of pain and I think for us being able to nuance the fact that actually even in my own experience right now I've got questions I think ultimately we want to be modeling to young people what they are likely to experience as they go through their own faith journeys so in my mind, absolutely, I do think that you can keep discipling young people. I do think there's an element of recognising where you're strong and where you're weak and leaning on people who actually may be good supports to you. Um, but I also think, like, actually, if you're in a space where you're like, actually, I do need some time out to actually work through some of this, that might be where you're at in terms of being like, I don't feel like I have anything to offer here. That's OK. And it, it would probably be more beneficial for you to feel released to go and actually be able to answer some of those questions um, slash be able to work on your own faith for a while. But I ultimately, I, I don't think that um, I don't think we're ever sorted. And so I think sometimes if we're waiting for a point where I feel confident, or I feel like, yes, I can do this and I'll know the answers on like, if you're waiting for that as a youth worker, I think you'll be waiting your whole life. And um, ultimately, God, God uses us in our limitations, in our weaknesses, you know, in our weakness, he is strong. And I, I don't say that as like a, just a, you know, nice Bible verse. I think I've experienced the fact that sometimes in the places where I felt the weakest, I've seen God do stuff that it's not me, it's him. It's totally like, it's not like I've had great answers. It's just like, oh, the spirit is at work and I can't claim any credit for that. I just am glad that God takes me on the journey and allows me to see sometimes the ways in which he's at work. Um, through the young people that I get a chance to journey alongside. Naomi, thank you so much. Thank you especially for being so vulnerable with your own story. Really appreciated you coming on. Great to be with you, Martin. There's a great theological term, isn't there, for what really Naomi was telling us about, which is the dark night of the soul. You know, those those moments that you don't anticipate mm. that take you to a, very quickly to a very dark place. And what we mean by dark place is not not an evil place, not a place where it's like you're you're facing hell in the face, so much as a place that that is unclear where God is and what God's doing. But it's more than just fog and mist. It's more than just well, maybe I will one day find out. It's like no, this feels like I, I need to find the light because if I don't find the light here, I don't think the light is anywhere. Have you had some dark nights of the soul kind of oh, moments gosh. in ministry or just just in your own relationship as a person of faith? Like have you, yeah. maybe not involving young people, but just in terms of your own growth? Absolutely. I think we do. Well, I hope I hope this is true of everybody. It's not just me. This is one of those moments where you think, is it just me? <laughs> yeah, I'm on but, my own. But I, th- I think we all have those moments, even those of us that have pretty much given our professional and personal lives to yeah. our faith. Um, you know, we have those moments where we just go, is this all madness? Is this, have I got the whole thing wrong? And that probably happens to me more often than I would probably is healthy. Um, I, 
I think where it's happened most for me is because I'm a very rational, logical person in terms of thought, uh, I'm a sort of a faux intellectual. I came to faith through quite rational means. I, I listened to an argument. We've talked about this lots of times. I listened to an argument. I processed it. I decided I was compelled by the argument. And so I decided to step across the line and say, okay, I'm in. That's essentially how I came to faith. Other people, it happens very differently. I think where I've then hit the rails is where some of the logic of God has started to unravel a bit. I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. Where would he put all the, the people in heaven? Where do they all fit? You know, those sorts of things. Um, I think as I've got a little bit older, I've become a little bit more comfortable with the mystery. And I think as unsatisfactory as the answer is, especially as a younger, very mm -hmm. rational man, um, you know, the mystery of God is something to be embraced. And ultimately, it's not the answer, but it, it is something of the explanation of why nothing makes sense or mm. why something doesn't make sense. Um, mm. And so I think pro I still have those. I, I probably have them less often now, but I still have those moments where I question everything. But I'm probably much more comfortable now with the mystery and the fact that I can't possibly understand the complexities of a God who created mm. the universe. I can't possibly, I can't possibly comprehend who who he is, what he's done, what he does, how he works. I can't, and I think as I've got more comfortable with that concept, uh, I have, I'm less reliant on on the need for a rational answer to things. What What about you? I that's that's fascinating. I um I feel that I can engage with the the rational a little bit like you. I can engage with those rational arguments, and I feel quite inspired by them. Actually, I quite like you know, the conversations with people like Richard Dawkins and finding mm. my little local angry, angry atheist. I, I find those moments deeply inspiring and actually propel me towards faith because I just, I just, I'm so shocked by the bleakness of an, of a faith of a world where there is no God and there is no faith. I, I find that, you know, structurally, I can't, Im I can't imagine a world without a God. So that isn't what sends me down that kind of rabbit hole of, of of uh, a dark like the soul but for me it's suffering so mm. so when i last year i've had a couple of times in my life of, of suspected cancer breast cancer it's in my family so i'm quite high risk getting it um and and the two years ago i had uh, they found some cancerous cells removed them last year they found more cancerous cells it was a little bit more worrying had an operation and in that period of time between them removing you know the lumps and you getting the all clear or whatever I, it was only two and a half weeks, but I went in my head to a very dark place. And the very dark place was along the lines of, I'm a mummy to two adopted children. Mm -hmm. um, I, what happens if I die? That's another, that's another loss and bereavement for them. I don't, I, I, I don't mind dying for me. I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have a certain, I have a kind of a, a grasp that I will always be held within the care of God. And I trust that my children will too. But if but but I'm their mum and and what does that mean for them? I mean, even talking to you now, I feel choked up about it. And because I and I think that it it took me to such a dark place that I thought, I don't know that God wouldn't do that. Or I mean it's not it's not God that would take me, it's death, you know. Mm. And and God's defeated the power of death and that and I'll always be held within eternal life. But I felt like because I wouldn't make that decision. God, if you if you allowed that, what do I do with that? And it and um and yeah, I face lots of issues around suffering and I've been able to kind of rationalise it. But I think because that one came so closely home, 
And I think there's a recognition that for so many of us in ministry, maybe the the thing that that we the reason we leave ministry is not because of big doctrinal problems or or even how tough it is to lead church or lead youth ministry or the dwindling numbers. It's when maybe something happens that makes us deeply question God's character. Like I think the youth workers I meet lay it all out on the line all the time. They live a costly life all the time. They are they are glad to do it. That's not the issue. The issue is where you feel God. I, but where were you? where were you? Where was your goodness? Not where was the paycheck? Not where was the hundred young people becoming Christians? Not where was the revival? Not where was the easy job? But where was your goodness? Where was it? It was it was not there. I, and I think that that is probably a reminder to me that I am I am God's ch- I'm His daughter, not His um, operations director. <laughs> <laughs> I'm his daughter and and the heart my heart as a youth worker and my heart as a mum and my heart as a neighbor and my heart as a 46 year old needs to hear the father heart and the mother heart of God saying to me you're always in my care hmm. you're always you always have the care of God around you and so I think that that was quite an eye opener for me um as someone who's quite articulate of faith, can reason things away, can sort of, you know, quite well resourced in terms of my own sort of set of little skills that I can use. But in that moment, those nights, I couldn't sleep at night because I was just thinking, maybe God will allow something to happen that I that will make me really question his goodness. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm quite late in the day to come to that. Lots of people I know listening to this may have had crisis moments way younger because of stuff that's happened in your life. Um, so it's, it's good to air them, isn't it? It's good to say we're I think not it's alone so in this. Good. I think it's so good. I think it's really powerful, you know, to be to be listening to Rachel Gardner, who stands up in front of thousands of people uh, and surely must have it all sorted out, uh, you know, sharing, actually, I have these moments where I, I question everything. I think that's yeah. incredibly empowering, actually. Um, because one of the, I think it's really unhelpful to have leaders on, on pedestal, pedestals of spiritual maturity. Like in one sense, of course, those that are, you know, ahead of us in certain ways are more mature or, you know, are in positions of leadership for good reason, but also they are, they're ultimately just as vulnerable and, you know, and, and, and broken as the rest of us. And, uh, and so it's really helpful to hear the truth of yes. that spoken rather than perpetuating the myths and the and the the act that in order to yes. be a leader you have to have all this stuff figured out permanently and if you ever slip surely that's some sort of yes. disqualification for leadership yes. um so yeah i think it's okay to wear your doubts on your sleeves and to make this about young people interestingly these things that we are talking about is some they they pick this stuff up yeah. through all the layers of everything else that we might project. It is what we discover of Christ in these moments. That is what permeates through everything we do, whether mm. it's a silly mm. game or a residential. Or Actually, because the young people are, you know, as is all human beings, we're we're supposed to be truth seeking missiles, aren't we? Actually, that's got that's having eternity built in our hearts. So. If we are living in denial about stuff, if we're saying, no, I can't question anything, that that will infiltrate what we do. Whereas if we're able to say, I am going through the dark night of the soul, or I am going through a big deconstruction, or I am asking big questions, rather than trying to shut ourselves down. So I'm going to face that. We were praying over our estate recently, 
and uh, lovely Alan Gaunt, who has a youth work background and is our curate, and he champions youth ministry like nobody else. I'm a big fan of that. Um, but he prayed this. He said, we, we, our word for the estate for this 2023 is hope. And we have hope for the poor, even if the poor stay poor. We have hope for the sick, even if the sick stay sick. Because we were talking about how so many of the issues of poverty on our estate are generational, they are intractable, they are massive. We want to see an end to these barriers to flourishing, but it might not be on our watch. It might not be in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yet people might still be poor in our parish in 20 years time, even if we lay on every warm cafe, feed everybody, get cap, you know, all these amazing things that we're going to do. But is our hope strong enough that even if the issues stay tough, mm-hmm. we have hope that, that God is there? So I think that's a really helpful thing. If you can admit, this is my crisis and God is still a God of hope as I stand in the reality of my crisis. I think that is that is a great place to be spiritually, actually. That is, And it's a great magnet, I think, for what God wants to do. Because God goes, great, I can work with that. Mm. <laughs> I, can, I, can do, I can do something with that. Wonderful. So it's powerful, it's powerful. So do talk to somebody if, yeah. if this is resonating with you. Don't, don't hold it in silence. Talk to somebody. Absolutely. Um, so that's probably enough for another episode of the Escape Podcast. Uh, we just want to remind you that we're looking for your input uh, yes. in this season. Uh, so if you have a, uh, uh, a story about a youth leader who impacted you, impacted your life, um, we'd love to hear it and we'd love to play it actually on the podcast. So we want you to record just a one minute, maximum one minute uh, story about the person who really impacted you. It doesn't need to be a professional or even an, a nominated youth leader, just someone as who was further on than you, who um, helped you uh, as a young person. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and we're going to play those out each week in the podcasts. We're going to end this episode uh, by playing out the first of those. Um, So here it comes. My unsung hero is a man called Rob Payne, who was my youth leader when I was a teenager. He really helped myself and my siblings to readjust when we'd come back um, from living in Canada for um, several years. He would always pick us up to go to youth group, and he was one of the first people that recognized that I had some mental health problems and I was struggling. Um, him and his wife really went out of, out of their way to just make me feel like part of the family and always listen to me when I was having a really tough time with school or with family stuff or just just struggling. So. Raw pain is my unsung hero. Hello, my name's Rupert. Rupert Garden. <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing.